Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to be wrapping up our Pillar People series this weekend with a message on the church, and we'll see that in, in 1 Timothy 3. And then next weekend, I'll be kicking off a new series entitled The Name Changer. We're going to be talking about Jacob. We're going to be talking about Ben-Hamin. We're going to be talking about you. We're going to be talking about me. We're going to be talking about us. All right? This is a burden the Lord gave me years ago, uh, and I'm really excited to teach it over the next, uh, kind of the last couple of months of this year. And then just be praying about how we kick off the next year. I already started this morning. Lord, where, where do you want us to start? Uh, in 2023, big year for us as a church. And uh, so if you just join with me and be praying. Uh, my job is to just figure out what the Lord wants to say, not to come up with something to say. So, all right. This series has been a fun one because I've gotten to teach on a word that the Lord pointed out to me years ago. Uh, and so we've walked through the significance of this word pillar and we're ending with, I believe, a very big burden that God has for his church. And the title of this message is, The Church Must Be. There's three points in this message, nine subpoints in this message, and all 12 of the action we're going to cover today starts with the sins. The beginning of the sins is the church must be, not the church should be. When I hear the Lord talk about his church, I don't think he starts off by saying, you know what I wish? You know what would be great? You know what the church should do? I don't think that's how he talks, especially in the day in which we live. I legitimately believe he starts off his sentences, his paragraphs, when he talks about his church saying, the church must be. My church must be. I believe the people who are a part of his church should feel the same way. Starting with me, but including you. We're going to talk about our burden for his church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul writing to Timothy says this. He says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon. So that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church was meant to be, always meant to be, a pillar of truth the whole earth could count on. It's the call on our church and every church that is his. We're to be the pillar. Now, I want to ask you a question to kick off this message. How many of us want our church to be a church God moves in and moves through? Okay, excellent. If you put your hand up, I'm going to politely ask you to write this next one-liner down. Because without knowing it, you might have just implicated yourself. <laughs> One of the most expensive decisions a church ever makes 
is to decide they want to see a move of God no matter what it takes. It's easy to raise one's hand. It's extremely difficult to lay down one's life. This is what Jesus did for the church. That's Ephesians 5. And as followers of Jesus, this is what we are to do as the church for the church. It's one thing to be a church with God's name. It's another thing entirely to be a church where God moves. The best way to... to characterize this message straight up broccoli straight up broccoli and I love it when some people say man Preston I just I love the way you teach because you just you serve bread but you also serve broccoli yeah you know what the the funny part about serving up broccoli is some people love their vegetables other people straight gag on their vegetables and your flesh might gag on this message I'm just telling you in advance there's a chance your flesh might gag on this message. And you need to understand why. Because I think one of the things the enemy tried to do in COVID was fire a bullet at the church to assassinate her. How will we respond? Three points. Here's the first one. The church must be led God's way by God's person. Some of you are thinking, is Preston about to talk in third person for the entirety of point number one? Okay, here's what you have to remember, okay? I'm not always gonna be the pastor of this church. I'm not, I'm not breaking some kind of news. Hopefully the Lord allows me to go 25 more years. That's my heart, that's my goal. But I won't always be the pastor of this church. Furthermore, by the end of point number one, you're going to be grateful you're not a senior pastor, and I'm going to wish I wasn't one. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 says, This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This helps us to see there is significance. When we see this word angels, many of us think heavenly messengers. This word angels is the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. There are heavenly messengers and then there are earthly messengers. But here's what a messenger is, a sent one. This job is meant to be done by someone who's been sent by God, not just a man who chooses to do the job. Revelation 1 lays that out. Senior pastors are meant to be sent ones. Now, here's the tough part about being a sent one. The sent one is meant to live according to the standard of the sender, not the receiver. I would personally love it if my job was to live up to your standard for me. I would love it. I could dominate that all, all the days of my life. But the problem is, I can't live according to your standard for me. Because you didn't send me. I have to live according to the standard of the sender. Think about it. The Amazon delivery person that comes to your house, ever wanted to fire them? Ever seen them mistreat one of your beloved packages? Do you have the ability to fire them? No, you don't. 
You can, you can kind of raise Cain and you can make life difficult for them and send in an email and all that stuff, but only the sender has the ability to remove the sent one, right? Because the sent one lives up to the standard of the sender. So this begs the question, what is the standard that God has established for a senior pastor? I'm going to show this to you. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. The Lord gave this to me for me in this line of work. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. What is the standard of the sender for the sent one? Clean hands and a pure heart. Let's talk about this. First thing in point number one, the church must be led by clean hands. Clean hands speak to the performance of righteous deeds and the avoidance of unrighteous deeds. Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis, Semmelweis in the mid-1800s, a doctor who started paying attention to an epidemic that involved mothers who were giving birth to babies. He saw that in hospitals, the, the mortality rate was five times worse for mothers who gave birth in a hospital than for mothers who gave birth at home with a midwife. So he started studying this out. He literally took the groups and began studying them, and he studied dynamics like at home, midwives would commonly have women lay on their side. In the hospital, they'd lay on their back. He studied this out. There was no discernible difference. In other words, the, the, the thing that was killing these women was called the childbed fever. He saw no correlation. Laying on your side, laying on your back. He studied out several things like this to no avail. And then he had a thought one day. And that day, autopsies were becoming a thing and hospitals performed post-mortem. So he thought, I, I wonder if any of these doctors who are performing autopsies are going right in to deliver babies after they do a postmortem, And wouldn't you know? The answer was yes. He thought, I wonder if this has anything to do with childbed fever. So he takes two groups of doctors, those who were performing autopsies before labor and delivery, and those who weren't. And what do you think he found? When a doctor touched a dead body and then went in to deliver a baby, the death rate of the mother who just delivered that baby went through the roof. So here's what he figured out. Let's see if washing their hands changes how many women die by their hands. So he created two groups of these doctors who would perform autopsies and then go in and deliver a baby. What do you think he found? The doctors who washed their hands didn't lose anybody. The doctors who did wash their hands didn't lose anybody. The doctors who didn't wash their hands were the ones who lost all the women in childbirth. Here's what that taught him, the key to saving lives. It's clean hands. So much so that he went and taught at a conference with hundreds of doctors. And his number one message is, no matter what you do, wash your hands. And people laughed at him. 
until they heard the facts. Let's apply this to me and this position. Unclean hands can kill what God is trying to do in a church. Here's the second thing. The church must be led with a pure heart. Jesus in the most famous sermon in the history of humanity, Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. The implication is, is that they will see God in a way the impure will never see God. The evidence of a pure heart is when one's whole life, both public and private, is transparent before God and man. Clean hands speaks to outward behavior. A pure heart speaks to inward bent. What does is, what is an, uh, an impure inward bent look like from a pastor leading a church? One word, manipulation. Manipulation. Now listen, I have to be very sensitive to this because you know my story. I was probably a better liar than anybody in this room back in my teenage years. Fortunately or unfortunately, I learned I could manipulate people with my words. You know how scary I thought that is? When you work for the CEO of the universe? It was one thing when I was just a kid. Now I am vocationally employed by the CEO of the universe who's watching my every word. And he's watching this while I say every one of them. The church must be led by a pure heart. Please don't take this the wrong way, but do you know how easy it is to manipulate hurting people? This is why it's so serious. The church is filled with people who are hurting. This is why the church must be led by a pure heart. Because the impure will take advantage of those who are hurting. A pure heart possesses an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. Question, how many of us want our church to have a senior pastor that pleases God? Okay, good. I just want to make sure. If you didn't put your hand up, we all do, right? Pure heart possesses an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. Here's the third thing. The church must be led obediently. The oil of heaven will not rest on a church that lacks the obedience of man. Obedience is one of the fastest ways for our church to experience more of the oil of heaven. But disobedience is the fastest way for our church to experience difficulty. Let's get practical. How many of you have ever read Deuteronomy 28, the chapter on obedience and disobedience? How many of you ever read that? Okay. In Deuteronomy 28, God goes on record and he says, These, this is my promise. If you obey, this will be my response. If you disobey, this will be my response. Okay, And it's pretty graphic. It's pretty awesome on the obedient side. It's pretty not awesome on the disobedient side. And God lays it out, what a life of disobedience will look like. Okay, how many of us think that our senior pastor has read Deuteronomy 28 at least one time in his life? Okay, how many of us want a senior pastor? Forget that it's me for a minute. Let me just be a sheep and a member here. How many of us want a senior pastor? who has read Deuteronomy 28, gets to the end of it, where God says, I will bless you, 
if you obey, but look at what I will do if you disobey. How many of us want to be a part of a church where the senior pastor reads Deuteronomy 28 and goes, I don't care, I'm still going to disobey. What kind of fool would he be? A huge one. The church has got to be led obediently. Let me show you another reason. What do you call a pastor who disobeys? A poser, not a pastor. I'll show it to you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. I don't know the last time you heard this verse. Some of us feel like, well, God's so distant. I just, I feel like he's not even speaking. Maybe it's an obedience issue. I just read it to you. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship. What does that mean for those who disobey? They've broken fellowship. Let me give you this one liner. The Lord gave it for me. I think this is just a fascinating study in the day in which we live. The fastest way for a pastor to create an ambitious consumer base of followers instead of an anointed community of faith is to break fellowship with the Father. I don't want a crowd. I really don't. I want an army. And here's, here's the big question. Do I lead the church? This is how we'll finish point number one. Do I lead this church? Well, it's a complicated question. Yes, but most certainly no. Yes, I do, but definitely no, I don't. Here's what I mean. I'm not allowed to lead this church however I want because it's not my church. Let me say it another way. The goal God's established for me in the season of my life leading this church is this. If you're going to follow me, you're actually just following the one I'm following. That's how it's supposed to work. You're not really following me. Like when you say, Preston, that was a great message. Talk to my boss. Preston, I love that our church does this. Thank my boss. I'm just taking orders from the CEO of the universe. Please don't put it on me. Now, if there's something you don't like, talk to my boss. <laughs> you thought, yeah, I was going to say, talk to me. No. Here's point number two. The church must be known as holy by the people God is pursuing. This is talking about the world out there, the lost. The church must be known as holy. How can that be possible? Well, first, the church must be a place of holy behavior. This word holy in Hebrew is kodesh. It has two meanings, apartness and sacred. I actually think the best definition of this word Kodesh is a sacred so sacred it's separate. I think this is what a great definition of holy means. The church must be known as holy, including by its behavior. Not perfect, none of us are. But that can't be an excuse not to try and live a more holy life. No excuses. God deserves our best. It's the call on his church and on every one of his followers. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. 
together with all those everywhere, that's us, who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live an uncommon life. Because we're supposed to be an uncommon people. It's the call we have as the sons and daughters of God. To be an uncommon people living an uncommon life. As I was raising three children, and Holly and I would make decisions as the kids got older, and, and they'd ask questions and say, how, how come we can't do what a lot of our friends can do? And they, they, we'd get lots of those questions, you know. And what I started to pick up on, not because they said it, but I could just kind of see it in their eyes, that there was a statement they wanted to make. And sometimes when they get a little riled up, when we would give them a no, I, I thought I would hear it, but I, I never heard it. But I know this is what our kids thought for years. We are not normal. <laughs> like, I just tell them no. And they're like, we are not normal, Daddy. You are not normal. There's nothing about us that's normal. And if my kids ever say that to me, here will be my response. You're absolutely right. I don't ever want to be normal. Because the call on my life and our lives as the children of God, is to live uncommon lives. And here's the why. And this is what we've tried to teach our kids. That all of the people around us who do not yet know Jesus, not just as Lord and Savior, but as best friend, all of those people, whether we realize it or not, are watching how we live. And here's what I personally believe. Everybody in my life, I don't know if this is true, but I'm, I believe this. Everybody in my life who does not yet know Jesus at some point in their life is going to get sick and tired of their normal. The alcohol isn't going to work the way it used to. Never really worked. But they feel like it works less now than ever. The sex just doesn't do what it used to do outside of marriage. All the stuff that used to work, I personally believe at some point, they will say, I am sick of this normal. And what will they do in that moment? I personally believe they will seek out those who have never been normal, asking, how do I get what you got? I don't want to be normal because the call on my life and ours is to not be normal, to be an uncommon people living uncommon lives. But it's impossible to do unholy things and be known as holy. Our calling is bigger than that. Here's the second thing. The church must be a place of holy pursuit. Jesus said this in Luke 19.10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. This was in the story of Zacchaeus. A wee little man. A wee little man was he. As I learned it as a child. You know the best part about Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus? Is Jesus makes a statement that I think many of us pass right by and overlook. It is with Zacchaeus that Jesus says these words. I, and I'm going to throw in some words because I'm just going to remind us all who I is. I, the son of the living God, am coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus, most kings bid you to come to them. But this king, the king of all kings, makes house calls. 
I'm not just the God who came to save. I'm the God who loves to visit. What do you think? If he's the God who makes house calls, what do you think his desire is when someone comes into his house here who's never been in his house before? What do you think he wants to go down? Here's what I think. God desires every visit to be a visitation. This is how we kicked off the Pillar People series, with his presence. This is just a warehouse if he isn't here. But the cry of my heart every week of my life is there is no point to do what I'm about to do if you're not in the room. No offense to you, I love you all, but I'm not here for you. I'm here because he is. I've made the decision to chase him all the days of my life. And if he ever leaves this room, I will too. He is my obsession. And I want my friends, my neighbors, their children, their teenagers, to be able to come into this space and encounter the God of the universe tangibly encounter him. The church must be a place of holy pursuit. This word holy, remember, apartness, another definition, altogether separate. The church needs to be a place that is different than any other place on the earth. Where the people we love in our lives who do not yet know Jesus can come into this room and be undone and not even understand why. It's because he's here. It's because he's moving. It's because he's pleased with his people and their movement. The church must be a safe place for a seeker to seek God with a guarantee to encounter God and a sweet invitation to become a child of God. Here's the third thing. The church must be a place of holy power. Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus makes a really important statement to his disciples. He says, and now I'll send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. The people of God are given the spirit of God to have access to the power of God. We don't just get the Holy Spirit to have relationship with God. Yes, that's a part of it. But it's even better than that. It's to have access to the power of God. The same power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. As believers in Jesus, as sons and daughters of God. The big question is, well then what is this power for? Why does God even give his people his power? God gives his people his power in order to do that which God desires and brings him the most glory. If the one who has all power in heaven and on earth is in the same room as you, it's not just okay to expect to encounter his power. It's actually a must. It's a must. If the God who has all power in heaven and on earth is in the same room as me, 
I anticipate seeing him and his power operate. Okay, let's talk about this. Well, what does this mean practically? Well, let me throw a word out at you. Miracles. I know that's a word that scares some of us. I don't know why. I think it's because we're secretly, many of us are control freaks. Okay, let's just, because some, when we talk about the power of God and God moving, we get a little bit anxious because whether we realize it or not, some of us have, have turned predictability and monotony into an idol. Okay, so let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be a part of a church where the senior pastor is in control at all times? He controls every single thing that happens. Come on, put your hands up. Nobody? Okay, then maybe we need to get a little bit more comfortable with the unpredictable. (laughs) Think about it. Do you know how arrogant it is on my part to assume that I always know what the God of the universe is going to do? How arrogant of me. How arrogant of us to wake up every morning of our lives and assume we know how it will go. Maybe the only reason we're able to predict how our day will go is because we've removed God from most of it. When God is in the middle of our day, you never know what will go down. But when God is removed from your day, you can pretty much predict everything that will go down. Here's why. Because you're in control of it. The church must be a place of altogether separate, sacred power. His power. Where people who have struggled with alcohol addiction for decades can come in and in a moment, a guy who came into services drunk for a year can be liberated like that because of the power of God, not the preaching of the pastor, the power of God. Where someone with cancer can be healed. Where wombs that have been closed can be open. Where blind eyes can be open. Where teenagers who've renounced God can feel something in their heart only God could take credit for. The walls of cynicism and hate come crumbling down. If miracles scare you, and I'm not trying to be bold, and what's a miracle? God doing something man cannot do. If miracles scare you, you might need a different church. I'm not trying to run you off. I'm actually trying to inspire you to live a life like the Jesus followers in the first century, where they got up every morning going, I have no idea what he's going to do, but he's God and I am not. Let's just follow and see what goes down. Today might be the day we see a kid come in with a couple of fishies and a couple of snack pack breads and see tens of thousands of people fed miraculously. Today might be the day we see a dead man come to life. Hey, what's up, Lazarus? Haven't seen you in a couple days. Yeah, I was, I was kind of, I was dead for a little bit. What do you think went down every time Lazarus walked into a room in his town after being raised from the dead? People who saw him in grave clothes 
and now see him in fresh clothes. What do you think it did for those people? I'll tell you what I think it did. It increased their faith. When God moves and does something only he can, it raises all of our faith. Let me say it like this, because we're all surrounded by cynical unbelievers. And I actually like their cynicism. I love it. I think cynicism is a divine setup for God to answer a question they don't even know to ask. So be cynical. Have you ever thought about this? The best way to shut down a cynical conversation is to stand in front of the waters of the sea with them and see God part them supernaturally and just see what they do. <laughs> the, blonde guy, the blonde guy in John 9. They're like, tell us who you think this man is. He's like, listen, I don't understand all y'all's theology. I just know this. I was blind, now I see. <laughs> what would it be like if our city and our valley was running, was running wild with the testimonies of God's faithfulness and power? Here's what I think. I think we'd see a move of God sweep through our valley, not just through our church. The church must be a place of holy power. Here's point number three. The church must be a priority for God's people. This is where I come into your cul-de-sac. The church must be a priority for God's people. If the people of God barely care about the church, the people God is trying to reach will barely notice the church. Let me go one step further for parents. If we see the church as a once-a-month type of place, our children will see the church as a once-a-year type of place. Okay, I'm not trying to come at anybody. I love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. But I love you too much to lie to you. Who told us this whole 1.5 times a month going to church thing? Where did this come from? Especially post-COVID. Who said this was the standard? The one who sent us? Or the one attacking us? I don't understand this. What would my marriage be like if I only saw my wife a couple times a year? Who said this was okay? I'm not talking about your travel and all that stuff. I'm talking about just staying in bed. If I were Satan, COVID was a G move. Get you to watch church in bed. This is why we stopped. Because I can't find it in scripture. Well, Preston, there weren't cameras back then. <laughs> yeah, because they were too busy experiencing an unbridled move of God, meeting together daily, not quarterly. Well, Preston, you're just trying to grow the attendance of the church. Okay, clearly I can't win with you. Am I really? Or do I have such respect for you and the savage God created you to be that as a spiritual GM, I'm trying to make sure every one of our best players is on the court. I'm not trying to grow a church. That should be obvious by now. Especially since I'm going to talk about what I'm about to talk about. First thing, 
If the church is going to be a priority for God's people, the church must be where the treasure of his people is stewarded. We have to talk about money. To man, money is a huge thing. To God, money is a heart thing. To us, money is this huge thing that without it, we can't survive on the earth. It's such a genius move by God to cause the asphalt of heaven to be the currency of earth. It's, it, it's, I think it's one of the most divinely sarcastic plays I've ever seen him make. You cannot theologically make the case that the God of the universe needs your money. You can't. What if it's not about money? What if it's about something much bigger than your dollars? What if it's actually about your heart? Let me show you. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is one of the most important financial principles on the earth. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. You don't care about my kids the way you care about your kids. Because my kids don't have your treasure. You didn't spend $80,000 to put my kids through college. You did that for your kids. You didn't change my kids' diapers. You changed yours. You're invested in your children. That's why you love them more than you love mine. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, I'm not the one who said the tithes and offerings should come into the house of the Lord. God did. Malachi 3, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. For those of you right now who are having this thought, which I oh so love, oppressing, of course, you're going to preach about money because if you don't, you won't have a job. Wonderful thought. I love it when you think that way. Let me give you a different way to think about this. You're thinking about it as, of course I'm preaching on money because I stand to personally gain from it. Can I give you a different way to look at this? Well, I'm going to tell you why you should never want to be a senior pastor. Because I'm going to have to stand before God for every dime that ever comes through this place. You think I'm sitting around in my office with my friends going, woohoo! Holla at your boy, look at all of this! I am on my face every time you obediently tithe and sacrificially give over and above that, it causes me to go on my face even more and go, God, what do I do? This is too big for me. It's one thing to manage my money, Lord. This is all yours. What do I do? You, you want to stand before God for every dime? No, you don't. Here's how I know, because I don't want to. But we've got to talk about this. Money isn't a money thing to God. It's a motive thing. It's a heart thing. Why did God set it up like this? Because humans care most about what they're most invested in. The only companies you care about on the stock exchange are the ones you've invested in. You don't care about the rest of them. 
unless you're about to invest in them. So, so think about this. This is another genius move. If Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon, the spirit that's on money, which is evil, not all money is evil. Remember, we make the choice. Will we cause it to be good or bad? Evil. Jesus says you can't serve both. You can't serve my Holy Spirit and serve the spirit that's on money operating on the earth, Preston. It's one or the other. So you got that. But then you also have that Jesus wants every one of his followers' hearts to be in and for his church. The same way his was and is. So he says, here's how we'll do it. A tenth of everything that comes in to your hands belongs to me. That's the Lord, not me. God goes on record and says, the tithe is mine, Preston. That's why in this church, we don't say we give the tithe. I can't give something that doesn't belong to me. I return it. I give over and above that. But the church must be the place. Now, is it the only place? No, 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 it's not. Holly and I give to other ministries, to other churches. But the first place is the house God's called us to make our home. The first belongs to him. And he went on record in Deuteronomy and said, you'll worship me and bring your tithes and offerings to the place I choose. Okay. His house must be a place where the treasure of his people is stewarded. Here's the second thing. The church must be where the time of God's people is sown until it's time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. Look careful, carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time. Because these days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't have a ton of time to hang out here. Brad asked me this question a week or two ago. He said, can you imagine what the church would look like? And he wasn't talking about ours. He was, he was talking about Capital C Church. Can you imagine what the church would look like if the people of God tithed their time to the Lord? He said, I think, I think the church could take over the earth. So as I was studying this week for the tithe and for time, and then this next point is going to be talent. But as I was studying, I just felt the Lord go, Preston, if we're talking about money, I told you a tenth was mine. But if we're talking about your time, I told you a seventh was mine. <laughs> Are you good, bro? Here we were thinking the church could take over the earth if the people of God tithed returned a tenth of their time to the Lord. And the Lord goes, oh, no, no, no. Time is even more valuable than money, Preston. That's why I said a seventh of your time is mine. Oh, what is that? What is the seventh? It's the Sabbath. A Sabbath day is a break from normal days in order to experience a holy day. A Sabbath day is a day of resting like him, extended time in the secret place with him, service in his house unto him, and giving him worship together with the saints, which is due him. 
what would it look like if God got 24 out of every 168 hours of your life? <laughs> We're talking about five-minute periods of time alone with the Lord. And he's going, hey, this is a good start. No condemnation. But let me tell you what the goal is. 24 out of every 168. Can you imagine what your life would look like if God actually got one-seventh of your time? I don't think we can. That's an altogether different picture of life as we know it. I personally believe that would be a life God moves through constantly. Here's the last thing. The church must be a place, the place where the talents of his people are used to build his kingdom. Here's my personal belief. I think you're a savage. I do. I think this because the God of the universe handpicked you to do things nobody else in this room or on this earth can do. I don't know if you believe that, but I actually wholeheartedly believe that about you. I think the church of God all over the earth is the most stacked team in all of human history. Elon Musk wishes he could have the leadership of the church to help him turn Twitter around. In my opinion, our family is stacked. Here's why. Because on each of us is an anointing to do God-sized things which bring God glory. You're a savage. What kind of pastor would I be? If I, having this revelation that you are a savage, handpicked by God to serve him in his house, what kind of a pastor would I be knowing that you're such a savage, letting you hide and never contribute to the winning ways of this team? I would be a terrible one. Absolutely terrible. Remember when I asked the question, how many of us want to be a part of a church where the senior pastor pleases God and everybody raised their hand. Well, to end this message, let's ask the senior pastor. Preston, would you like to be a part of a church where the people of God please God? <laughs> I would, with all of my heart. And how will that take place. It will only take place when the people of God do the same thing with the church and for the church that the Son of God did for the church. Ephesians 5.25, Jesus died for the bride. Either the church is a place for you that could be or maybe even should be where the church is the place that must be. And if it's a place that must be, then it means everyone God calls to make this their church home must have this mentality. Then I must too. 
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.